Welcome back to the Flex Diet Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mike T. Nelson. On this podcast, we talk about all things to increase muscle, better performance, strength, and do this all with better body composition without destroying your health in the process. <clears throat> I apologize today. There's a little bit of an echo in here. I'm recording this from Mexico. So we are down here for a couple of weeks, which is great. Just hanging out, working. The place we're staying is amazing, uh, but all the walls are concrete. <laughs> so it does echo a little bit in here. And on today's podcast, we've got Shane from Muscle and Fitness. We have an awesome discussion about all the things that go into the writing process for fitness. So if you are working to be a better communicator overall, or even in the fitness space, you will love this podcast. Uh, Shane has allowed me to publish some of my stuff in Muscle and Fitness, always coming up with great article ideas and editing them. And he's got some wonderful words of wisdom here, everything about the writing process, how to get started, what things you should do. We even get into the role of AI and many other uh, side topics. This one was recorded when we were down in Texas. The recording on my end sounds a little bit funky, but I tried to clean it up as best as I could. Uh, I'm trying to keep the audio on these as high quality as possible, but sometimes it just doesn't work out that way. But I think you will enjoy this podcast for sure. And also for the Flex 4 questions, Shane was kind enough to give us his top four tips for writing. So if you want that, go to MikeTNelson.com forward slash Flex 4. That's MikeTNelson.com forward slash F-L-E-X, the number four. And opt in there at the newsletter. And we will send that exclusive content directly to you. You will also be on the daily newsletter that way also. So go to MikeTNelson.com forward slash Flex 4. And then also, if you're interested in a very tasty electrolyte drink that I brought a whole crap ton with me down here to Mexico, my favorite is LMNT. Go to drinklmnt.com forward slash Mike Nelson, and that'll put you over to their site. My favorite right now is actually the grapefruit flavor. I'm generally not a big grapefruit fan, but they did an excellent job with theirs especially if you are traveling on a lot of plane flights. We had a couple of flights to get down here. We were in Orlando the weekend before. So having a one liter container, I just fill up at the airport, drop a container, a little individual packet of element in it, and you are good to go. My little rule of thumb is I try to drink at least one of them per plane flight. And it, it definitely does seem to help because planes can be, air can be very hot, dry, and can dry you out a little bit on that. So if you enjoy that, I highly recommend Element. They have a no questions asked back money guarantee. So if you don't like it, just let them know and they'll get you a full refund. So go to elementt.com forward slash Mike Nelson. You'll find links to both of these in your favorite podcast player below. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it and enjoy this talk about fitness writing with Shane from muscle and fitness. Hey, welcome back to the Flex Diet Podcast. Thank you so much, Shane, for being here. Really appreciate it. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me, Mike. This is awesome. Yeah, and the topic today is 21st century content creation. 
because you're obviously been doing writing for quite a while. You're doing editing or working with different magazines and everything else. So you're right in the, the middle of the industry doing it, which is always nice to chat with people who are just like trainers. And obviously you work as a trainer too. So you have a background in That's that correct. area too. So it's nice. I always think of Lou Schuler. I think was the first editor I was aware of that actually had a CSCS, understood exercise to a pretty hard de high degree, but was also trained as a hardcore journalist, which I thought, wow, that's super cool. Like that's I didn't realize he was then. good strength and conditioning specialist. I didn't realize that. Yeah, because I remember sense. him bitching about the test for quite a while. I don't know how long he kept it up, but he, he definitely did it once and passed. So I thought that was very cool. <laughs> yeah. Louis, one of those people who have been very good to me. Oh, nice. He's such a nice guy too. And he's, if you're going to hang out with him in person, as I know you have, he's absolutely hilarious too, at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Now it's been, Lou's been a big help to me. He's put me on the right track and given me a kick in the ass when it's needed. Well, that's always good. I remember yeah. one of the times I was with him at Paleo FX and he got lost trying to walk to the, the venue. And I asked him the second day, I said, how did you get to the venue today? Did you use your phone for directions? He's no, I just followed a bunch of women who looked like they could kick my ass and figured I was going in the right direction. Yeah. That's that sounds like, like yeah. that's that, that sounds like, I mean, yeah, Lou, Lou is great. And I think when we come to Jack Lane's almost like the godfather of fitness. Yeah. I think Lou is probably the, the godfather of fitness writing. He was really the one who started putting it on the map for that combination of writing and training. Yeah, definitely. Kind of like a hybrid. Yeah. I grew up reading his stuff, like probably you did, and probably mm -hmm. a lot of other, other trainers did. I bought his books, The New Rules for Lifting with Alan Crossgrove. Yeah. Man, that's the way I used to program. That's how I learned how to program was from those books. So yeah, I've learned a lot from Lowe. And the nice part about that book too, is that's still one of those books where someone who's I'm new to programming and I'm confused. It's I just give them that book. It's here, just take this, just use this. Like you'll, especially for general population, like you're going to be pretty good. If they want to go like even deeper, I'd say practical programming by Lon Kilgore is pretty good. They want to go balls deep. By all means, pick up super training, but don't pretend like you're going to understand anything in it. And just, you can, you can <laughs> have it on your bookshelf and look cool. Even though it's I an amazing the, book. It's just one of those yeah. books everybody says they read and they're like, you ask them a question and they, they have no. <laughs> yeah. I think the deepest I got was to the, is it to the bumper? And yes. Periodization mm -hmm. and serious strength training, all that kind of stuff. And that's some, even that was over some of my head. Yeah. I didn't really, I didn't really need it. It was just good to know it. Yeah. So where do you think content is going now? I mean, as of this recording, I heard from Rick Collins that muscular development is closing in stores as a magazine. So there isn't many magazines. Is that right? That's what I heard. The rumor was they're not doing the print magazine anymore. And the rumor was they're also not doing online or anything anymore so again i don't know how true that is we will have a correction by the time this episode is out but in terms of mainstream especially in the more hardcore area in terms of print magazines it appears like it's 
dwindling pretty fast. That's correct. So I write for Muscle of Fitness and the and yeah. the managing editor of that magazine is Jeff Tomko. And Jeff Tomko said to me that everyone wants to be in the magazine, but nobody wants to read it. Yes, <laughs> that's totally and, true. And I think that really probably goes to the heart of it. I used to read Men's Health. I used to get the magazine all the time. So I think in terms of print and online, I think it's probably more like an evolution. Edge Muscle and Fitness, they got bought out. Yep. They don't do the magazine anymore. They did a specialty magazine for Olympia the past mm -hmm. few years. I think that's probably going the way of that. More like specialty magazines rather than something coming out every month. I think there's always a place for magazines. Only because I like pictures. That's, you can tell me what to do, but I like being shown what to do. So picking up a magazine is like picking up a newspaper. You read it. It's that experience. Maybe going to the movies. Mm -hmm. Like the, one of the reasons why movies is still around on the big screen is because it's the experience. Right. So you, we can stream anything nowadays. So I think that's the same with magazines. I think it's just going to be an evolution. But yeah, everyone wants to be one. Nobody wants to buy one. I'm probably one of those people too. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, because just it's easier online. It's easier to sell advertising. So yeah, I think that it's like the way of newspapers, right? Every newspapers are online. Buying newspaper now is very expensive. Probably the same with magazines, right? Magazines are dwelling. It's just going to be more expensive to buy one. But I don't think, I think there's still a place, particularly in the fitness realm, yeah. particularly for people who are starting out. Do you think part of that is the model of advertisement because everything is so online now? So if you think of a standard print magazine and I'm an advertiser and I have a online business like the supplement store or whatever i won't name any names now i have to get you from the offline version of it that's not connected either give you a coupon code or some code and then expect you to take your phone type in a url or scan a qr code or do some sort of action go to the site and then look at it again versus if it's online, I just click a button and poof the whole site and everything is there and i can send you to a special page that i can See how many eyeballs hit it, how a conversion is. I can measure all these metrics like instantly, where with print, I've just noticed the transfer isn't nearly as high, especially if you're a standard online business now. I just wonder how much of That's that great sort of plays into it. That's a great point. Yeah. It's simplicity, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Right. It's, it's, it definitely, it definitely is the simplicity of it because people want to measure metrics. The only metric you have with magazines is how many people buy them. And then you have the cost of, and I know this is an issue with a lot of magazines too. Obviously you have subscribers, right? So you know about how many people are going to be on there, how many people are going to drop off per month, but then you're supplying print magazines to all of these outlets and then you're printing them ahead of time. And then what if they don't sell, then they all come back to you at the end of the month. And so I just wonder if more magazines are going to go to a subscription only model where you can't buy it in that retail, is a good point but you can still do a subscription if you want because at least then they know their print cost they know x amount of people are already going to get it and they don't have to it'd be like 
And this happens with books a little bit too. You print so many extra books, you hope that it sells. And if it doesn't, crap, you're stuck with all this inventory now boxes, you're printing books. ahead of time. <laughs> yeah, I think, funny you say, because we're, we're in race as a bar in Dallas. Yeah. And Molly Galbraith was just giving away a book. Mm-hmm. Here you go. Yeah. Sounds like her too. She just kind of, she just had all these excess printed books. And she was like, there you go. You can have one. Book for you, book for you, book for you. She was like, like Oprah, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah, I think you're exactly right on that. I think that's a good observation. That's spot on. But like he's, like I said before, I think there's always going to be a place just because it's like going to the movies. It's the experience. I still walk into a grocery store and pick up magazines. Yeah. I used to done that so much lately, but in the past, I always would do that. I, yeah, that was for a while. That's how I got article ideas because one of the tips I got from my business guy years ago was this is back probably 2015, 16 when magazines were quite a bit bigger then. like the amount of money that they spent to try to figure out what headlines are working, even in a print magazine is pretty high. And they have been doing it for so long. They've got a pretty damn good idea of what works and what doesn't. And so he told me, just go to the magazine aisle, look at all the magazines, and then write down all the phrases on the front cover. And then, Is that like, Sean Weissing you're talking about? No, it was actually Christopher Guerrero. Yeah. yeah, Sean's obviously worked in the industry for many years too. Yeah, and so I thought that was pretty brilliant. It, it, you're not actually stealing the idea, but you're if you see... 10 magazines at the time and fat loss is on every single one of them. Maybe you should write something specific about fat loss or if it was muscle gain or if it was aching joints or, or whatever. It was a pretty cool way to get this really good snapshot of kind of the industry overall at, at a glance. That's true. I think when you talk about which way it's going, which going, which and the way it's going online, obviously search engine optimization is the shit, right? So every, pretty much every muscle of fitness don't do it a lot, but they don't care because they've got such a huge inbuilt readership mm-hmm. anyway. And, but other websites I've worked for, that's what they're all about. They're all about, they're basically all about search engine optimization. So the way everything is formatted and headlined, all these SEO tools that you use to make sure they have certain words and articles so they get lots of eyeballs. That's definitely the way it's going, right? I've found only in my experience that almost the formatting is almost more important than the content itself. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, and you've got a whole websites like, this is public knowledge, but like Barbin who started as an SEO group and had tons of money spent just trying to outline what is all the SEO they want. And all the articles were driven from SEO. And, you know, when they exited, they did pretty good. You could argue they might've exited at the perfect time. Josh Axe did the same thing with his site that I, do you think SEO will continue to play as big of a role going forward as it has up until this date, especially as it seems like more and more content is just being pushed out online everywhere. I don't think Google's going anywhere soon, right? I think Google's, right? They basically got the monopoly, right? So yeah, no, I don't think it's going anywhere soon. And particularly you can purchase 
stuff that does the SEO for you. Right. So as a side note, so Barbem was bought by Pillar 4 Media owns Garage Gym Reviews, who I write freelance for. Oh, I didn't know so they now, did that. So now Pillar 4 owns Barbem Dan <clears throat> and Breaking Muscle. So Pillar 4, who I, who I freelance for, they're huge into SEO and they have a little add on a Google Doc called ClearScope, which basically tells you all the words to put in the article. Mm. So no, the answer is no. I don't think that that is not going anywhere soon, SEO. And I think, at least in my experience, that's probably becoming more important than the content itself. Nobody's worried about eating right, but they're worried about the supplements they take. I suppose you could, you could, you can make that analogy, particularly with fitness content is that, yeah, it's, it is going that way, but particularly with the amount of beginners coming in around USA around this time, I think there's, there's always going to be always a space for good content period. I'm a big believer and in actionable content so when the reader reads something you're obviously familiar with this mm-hmm. that the reader will take something away from it and can implement it in their own training their own life whatever i think if you're not doing that you're probably wasting people's time opinion articles are great and i have plenty of those but i think in terms of actionable content that's where it's at and hopefully yeah. the SEO doesn't really take that over. Yeah. Yeah. And that's probably like the two biggest tips I got from TC at, at TMAG was tell a story. Like, yes, people may care a little bit about the research, but can you put some sort of story into it? Because no one's going to go out and read PubMed. I do. But most people aren't going to just go out and read PubMed. And then, even if they were, they don't usually have the skill set to translate it. That's a whole thing you have to be taught. And then he's just... Make it actionable. What do you want them to do at the end of the article? And he's like, if you do that and you've got good quality stuff, he's like, you'll be pretty good. I was like, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, I think you bring up a, a valid point and you're great at this, is that you can have all that knowledge, but you've got to express it in the way people can understand it. Mm-hmm. Not so much talking at their level, so to speak, but can they understand? And I do some editing for other trainers on the side. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of trainers and fitness professionals and coaches, and even still now get caught up in the fancy language, which is, there's a pot, there's a place for it. Oh, sure. No doubt. Because we've all been educated, but this is when we, you got to consider your audience. So say muscle of fitness is meatheads. Mm-hmm. You start throwing movement terms on muscle and fitness, they're not going to have any idea, right? So instead of saying spinal flexion, saying don't bend your back. Yeah. <laughs> so, although it sounds stupid to you and me, and it is, to them, it makes complete sense. So I think simplifying it so people can understand it. And I think, was it Einstein that says, said that if you can't explain something simply, then you have gaps in your knowledge and you need to go back. 
Yeah, I don't understand it well enough. Yeah, you don't understand it well enough. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm not the smartest guy. I admit that, but I can take a complex subject, much like yourself, and simplify it so people can understand it. And like I said, that bleeds into the actionable content because if people can understand it, they can implement it. Yeah, I, no, I totally agree with that. And I think we see this a little bit less in fitness now, but tell me what your thoughts are. I think we still see some newer trainers trying to sound extremely educated to impress other trainers, but yet when you ask them who their audience is, it's not other trainers. They're not selling certifications. They're not training other trainers. They're trying to train the average gym goer. And to me, that always feels like a weird disconnect. Like they want to write these really technical articles to get respect from other trainers, but yet they're actually trying to communicate something to the you know average person going to the gym, where instead of doing what you said, just, yeah, maybe take some complicated stuff, but make it simple because your audience is actually that person you, you want to train as your next client and who cares like what other trainers think about you, but it just seems like there's this weird conflict that they have at the same time. They're trying to do two things at once. It's, I think we all do it. Oh, and I'm hundred percent guilty of this in the past and probably even still yeah, now. Well done. <laughs> I've done it. Yeah, I've certainly done it. I think I'm much like you, because you have a lot of coaches who follow you, me included, but you basically speak to your general population. So mm. you know who your audience is, I know who mine is. So I think it's just a matter of obviously knowing who your audience is. Like I read stuff online and it's, uh, that's, I know that that's easy, but it's not meant for me. It's meant for, it's meant for their potential client. So you got to feed that into that. It's definitely just knowing your audience, right? So if you train trainers and that's who you're speaking to, if you train general population, that's who you speak to. Usually when you're good at what you do, people gravitate, all type of people gravitate towards your work. So mm -hmm. you, you don't need to specify one or the other. You just write to your audience and if it's good, people will read it. Yeah, uh, I obviously write for general population, but I'm lucky enough that other trainers read my work and they like it and I have respect for that. And that's great, but they don't write for them. Mm -hmm. I, I, I write for general population. So like you said, I think knowing your audience is key, but also just getting good at what you do. And yeah, you'll find an example of that. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, there's never going to be a substitute for just getting better at it. And even the thing that surprised me, obviously, I have the Flex Side Cert and the Fizz Flex Cert, which are you know, specifically geared to trainers. And when I first came out with the Flex Side Cert, I, I was targeting gym owners and I had the whole system set up that if you had 100, 200 people at your gym, you could put one person in charge of all the nutrition. I had all the, the marketing, I had everything all built out for it. I'm like, ah, I won't even charge you a licensing fee. And what I realized was, most gym owners are not very good at business and they just couldn't wrap their head around that they could outsource it to someone else in their gym and have another income stream. It just seemed like a, a pain in the butt to them. And so that ironically is like a very small percentage of the total sales. 
was even more surprising to me was about 40% of the sales of the certification, which is a freaking 28 hour certification. It's not easy is actually fitness enthusiasts, which I was surprised about. And so knowing that I actually changed my writing style to more intermediate level fitness enthusiasts, knowing that coaches will still get stuff out of it. One, because that's the audience they're going to communicate to. And two, they may learn some stuff, but I'm always sometimes conflicted where I feel like if I talk only to trainers and coaches, it almost makes it feel too niche and too advanced. And then I've almost narrowed it too far down, but even I, yeah, so even times I go back and forth and I've just landed on, if I'm targeting the intermediate sort of semi-advanced person, but trying to explain it to a language they can understand, it just feels like I get a lot of the trainers and other people come along for the ride. Or if I go more exclusively to trainers, then everyone else is, ah, screw you. I don't understand anything you said. It it just feels like a lot of it drops off. (laughs) That's a good point. And I think what you explain is knowing your audience. That's a, that, that's a classic case. So trainers and coaches who come into the industry, obviously you train everybody that you can and develop a niche of who you like to train. But I think when it comes to, to content, that's definitely a key is just, and I've said it like five times already, is just knowing <laughs> your audience. Right? Just having a feel for their problems. Right, no, knowing what they do, where they shop, all that kind of stuff. Right, they walk into a gym, they see a piece of equipment. It's like, what the hell is that? What does it do? <laughs> you explain it to them. That's what it does. Oh, okay. So yeah, definitely knowing your audience is key, and I'll probably say that another five times during the interview. Yeah, and I think the shortcut, if there is a shortcut, is. If you really know your audience and you really know like what their problems are and what their goals are, they will listen to you even if the quality of writing is not amazing, right? If they feel like the information is good, I think they will put up with a lot of other stuff because you're helping them solve their problem as opposed to solving something that may not be a huge problem for them. Then it becomes much more picky about what's going on. Yeah, that yeah, that's very true. And we're talking, we're going to talk a little bit about AI. Yeah. And how basically everything can be uh, done for you. I think there's always going to be a place for good writing. Good writing and understanding are kind of intertwined. The more you write, the more you understand it. The more you teach a squat to a client, the more you understand the squat. I think artificial intelligence is not going to replace that. I'm like almost every other fitness professional. I've got my head buried in this, hoping (laughs) it will go away. But it won't. No. And I think, particularly with AIs, everyone fears new technology, but my first fear was I was just going to be unemployed as a freelance writer. And that hasn't happened. So there's st- still a place for good writing. So they could generate all their articles from AI if they wanted to, all these websites, right? Put an author's name to it. Who would know? Mm-hmm. Right? But they don't. They're still employing writers. There's still a place for good writing. Is because 
they understand the material. Not saying AI doesn't, but they obviously pull from different sources and all that kind of thing. It's like a place, like the movies. Again, like the movie analogy, it's the experience. There's always going to be a place for movies because people want to go see it on the big screen. Yes, you can generate a lot of your content through AI, but I think you can generate it, but if you don't understand it, if you don't have a deep level of understanding it, then it's going to show through. I think there's, there's that little subtle difference. There's AI. A lot of kids are using AI to do papers and all that kind of yeah. stuff now. And they've got detectors for it. But I feel, yes, you can use AI, but you're still going to have a, you still, as a fitness professional, you still have to have a good level of understanding. And I think people's bullshit detectors probably higher than they've ever been. So I think you can sniff out, I think you can sniff out bullshit pretty easily. Many people do, because all you have to do is get on and Google it. You'll see, right? Yeah, I, I'm not teaching this quarter. I might be next quarter. I don't know yet. The schedule's not out, but it's fascinating and weird to me. I played around with just the free version of chat GPT because I have a FlexSide mentorship where we talk about the use of AI and stuff. So I wanted to get at least educated enough on the free version just to see what it's good for, what it's not. And then plus knowing I'm going to have to probably teach students again, a big portion of that is writing essays. And on one hand, it's scary that you type in, I took some of my old assignments and just put them into chat GPT and just to see what it would spit out. And on one hand, it spits out something for a boring academic formal paper is pretty damn good. Now, when I cross-checked it for accuracy, it wasn't very accurate, which maybe that problem will get solved in the future. So like you said, I think you still have to understand the material for sure. But I was also horrified that I'm like, if I was not a subject matter expert in this, I wouldn't really know without doing a lot of work and checking each reference because it sounded really good in terms of boring academic papers. I'm yeah, like, shit, I would have given this probably like a B or an A minus maybe, but I, so then I thought, okay, how would I rework it? Knowing that AI is not going to go away, knowing that some of the checkers maybe are there, maybe are not, who knows? That's another huge debate. So. My thought is I would say, okay, original essay from scratch, do not use technology. I'm not worried about referencing. Okay. Then paper two, same topic, just put it in the chat DPT, have it spit out whatever it's going to spit out. Now you have to go in and check that paper for accuracy. So I would force students to see where is the AI, AI good and where is it not? And then your third paper you submit, you can do whatever the hell you want with it, but it has to be accurate. It has to be up to the standard and all the references have to be correct, whatever. Because I think putting your head in the sand and pretending AI is going to go away and that no students are ever going to try to sneak one past you and throw it into chat GPT, not realistic. Two, I don't know how the hell I would prove, even if I knew with the shadow of adult that they did it, there's no way for me to go to my dean and say, I think this paper is just from chat GPT because it doesn't give you the same thing all the time either. So I think showing them what are the pros, what are the cons to me allows them to use it as a tool, which they're going to, and to hopefully use it as a better tool to actually get better at writing. Cause then you're back to the original thing anyway, was you still have to know how to friggin' write. You still have to know the material, right? And you have to know the material they're talking about. Yeah.
And particularly when it comes to that, when it comes to cheating, oh, I'm, I'm just of the opinion is you're only really cheating yourself. I know that's oh, a, true. That's a little bit deep and meaningful, but you really are. You just cheat. You're just cheating yourself. You might get a good grade, and you're taking a shortcut, but they'll bite you on the butt when mm-hmm. I mean, you don't know your stuff, and you sit down and have to do the final exam, and you don't know a thing. So, I think that kind of stuff always catches up to you. Mm-hmm. It's like the person who performs all these shortcuts in the gym and doesn't get results. Catches up to them, right? They've got to realize that there's, I know it's cliche, but there's no substitute for hard work, Mike. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And also, not only that, you've got to suffer for your craft. So, uh, yeah. so this is part of the process. It just takes time, right? A lot of people don't have to, not only do people not have time, they're not patient. And that's where shortcuts come in. Particularly with AI. Yeah. Same idea to students. I would always emphasize, especially to like juniors and seniors and even some of the graduate students I would teach is that, okay, you might be able to bullshit your way through part of this class. And I realize that may happen no matter how hard I try to prevent it. But at some point you're going to be in the real world. And guess what? People are going to expect you to know shit. And if you don't know your shit, like you're going to have issues. <laughs> it's amazing that you have to sometimes sit down and tell students this. It's like they didn't think that far ahead. And I'm sure I'm guilty of this when I was a student is that it's just the next exam or the next thing or the next class. It's okay, great. So you graduate, let's say you get a high grade, you get hired. Guess what? That employer, or if you're self-employed or whatever, they expect you to know your stuff. That's why they hired it's, you. That's going to be yeah, up Like I point. said, it comes... Yeah, like it, like I said before, it comes. It, 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 it all comes to a head. It comes back to bite you on the butt. But yeah, I think like any new technology, you implement it, you take the best out of it, you leave the rest behind. I think yeah. it's gonna be. I think it's gonna be. I think it, it's gonna be a great tool when I eventually learn how to use it, which is not now. <laughs> but I will because it'll just make certain things that used to be time-consuming easier. Mm-hmm. And when we're all about efficiency, Mike, so if it takes us less time to do a mundane task, we'll do it. Mm-hmm. Right? Because that's time spent best on other things as well. So in terms of efficiency, I think AI is going to be great. You still got to have a level of understanding too. Yeah. I've noticed, like I've tried to use ChatGPT to write stuff from scratch just to play around with it and see how it does it. And I don't know any of the stuff that I would ever put out under my name. It all just sounds boring as hell. It's not that accurate. It For what it is, it's not bad, but I have found it's useful for iterations of titles, iterations of phrases. Give me 10 versions of this. And I have found it useful for having it revised stuff in other people's voices, even though I wouldn't use that. So example is used is revise this essay in the voice of Joe Rogan or David Goggins or people that are popular and out there. And it'll give all these weird phrases that don't sound like me. But when I go back and I force myself to revise that version again, 
because of those intermediate phrases, I'll get to something else that I didn't get to before. So right now I'm probably making my writing process more inefficient to have this intermediate step. Oh yeah, but, but you're just like, sorting it out. It's working through it. But I feel if without that intermediate step, it was much harder to get to something else and I'll get to a different place. I'll think of, oh, I like that phrasing there or, oh, this, oh, I could take this phrase here and modify these four words and use that. So it just feels like it's a, a way of giving another creative spin that'll, at least for my, gets me to a different place I may not have gotten to otherwise. So I think it has improved the overall quality, even though the process right now that I'm doing is paradoxically longer than what I was doing before. <laughs> but yeah, that's, yeah. No, yeah, but I mean, it's going to be longer now, but it'll be shorter the later. And at some point, it'll get you, like any new process, it'll get easier and faster and, and better with it. You brought up a point that, I, I don't know, geez, it could have been maybe seven, eight years ago. I was in church and uh, my pastor said that basically you should strive to be the same person online than you are in person. Mm. So my ultimate compliment when somebody meets me for the first time who's known me online and says, you're exactly who I thought you would be. And I think if it comes, when it comes down to AI, if you get an AI to do your stuff, then you're going to have people who meet you for the first time. They're not going to get the true you. Yeah. And I yeah. think you're a classic case. You're a case. I think the way that you talk in your emails and online and in your blog posts, you meet you in person. You're exactly the same. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> I don't know if that's a deliberate attempt, but I think just saying we, you're messing around with AI and all that kind of stuff. If you were to put out something like that in that voice, I think your audience would pick that up right away that it was. Yeah. And I think it's the one thing I did also too was similar to that is that my, I guess my bet going forward is that the internet and everything is going to be diluted with just very boring ass vanilla content. So if you can make stuff that's again useful to the person accurate and and semi infotainment i think that's going to set you apart even further from all the other crap so i've even tried in the past year just to make the writing process more interesting to me like how accurate and actionable could i make it but yet don't be afraid of just making it sound that shit crazy at times <laughs> you know you good at that <laughs> Well, <laughs> so it's not boring because I realized about a year ago, I was getting bored with the writing process and I felt like probably writing too technical when I didn't have to. And so now I'm just like, I don't know. And you'll notice this, if it was on my newsletter list, you'll notice some emails are a little bit more straightforward. They're a little bit more dry. Some I'm just, I get bored. I'm like, how fucking wacky can I make this and have it sound halfway decent? And then it made the writing process interesting for me again. And I was like, if I'm bored doing this, why would I expect? people to read it and they're going to be bored. No one's going to be interested in that. Yeah. You know, so I think finding ways to make it interesting for you or challenging as a writer, I think does show through in the end, having something that's a little bit better quality too. And to get halfway decent, and I think it brings up a fair point to get halfway decent at writing is the, it, that is the process of like finding your own voice is what you're talking mm -hmm. about. When you start writing, you start putting stuff out on Facebook, you have no idea. So 
I got, I've been influenced by Tony Genocor because mm -hmm. he found a way to weave humor. Yes. And technical knowledge together and made it readable and made it fun. I took a, a real lead out of Tony's book because he'd reference about poking your eyeballs out, banging your head against a brick wall and somebody does a spot wrong, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, to me, that was funny. Yeah. It was funny. I think as coaches and as fitness professionals, sometimes we take ourselves too seriously. And it's not rocket science. It's fitness, baby. Let's go. Yeah. So I think <laughs> the, the technical aspect is great and that will always have a place. But having a little bit of fun with it, too, inserting a joke here or there, inserting your personality. Again, it's that people who meet you for the first time will go, oh, you're exactly who I thought you would be. I use sense of humor in my training all the time. My clients are like, laughing on the floor because I'm just not, I'm not yeah. serious. It's fun. I think putting a bit, a little bit of fun into your content and particularly into your training and into your emails, just lets the audience know who you really are. And you're just more relatable, mm -hmm. right? They still take you seriously because you still know your stuff, but you're not walking around with a stick up your ass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I've, been on some other email lists of people who are more on the hardcore research side and they do an okay job of trying to communicate some concepts to the fitness enthusiasts, but holy shit, I get bored reading them. And I like this stuff. Like I read PubMed for fun and I get bored. It's if I'm getting bored. Oh, yikes. <laughs> yeah. So another, a huge guy in our space is Lee Boyce. Yeah. I love Lee. Yeah. So. Lee's helped me a lot. Lee's more of a serious type person. Yes. Yeah. Lee's straight down the line. But if you meet him, like I did in, in Raise the Bar in Dallas, that's who he is. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> that's not who I am. I like to joke around and have a little bit of fun, but that's not Lee. Right, Lee's... Yep. <laughs> straight down the line. Blinkers on. That's gone. And there's no one more prolific and more knowledgeable and more and probably better at their craft than there is Lee Boyce because mm -hmm. he's found his voice. That, that's it. Yeah, that's Sam, not me. Yeah. Sam Miller is like that too. I love Sam and I love all this stuff. And he's been on the podcast and the, you can go back and listen to the podcast episode I did with him. And my whole little secret goal was to just try to get him a little bit more animated because he's very knowledgeable, very, but just straight ahead. Here's the thing, here's the facts and here's what we do, which is great. I love his stuff. I think it's awesome. But after the podcast for a while, he probably thought, what the hell was this? Like, you know, thinking it was going to be more straight ahead. And I was just trying to make it more entertaining, but a lot of the jokes I made just didn't. They You're trying to shake his cage, huh? I was just trying to do it for fun and he was not really having any of it. And he was very polite and the very great in, interview and, and that kind of stuff. But it was, yeah, it was interesting. And part of the reason I did that is because I'm like, is this a writing style on purpose or maybe he's a little bit different. And then, you know, I've met him several times in person. Great dude. 
that's just who he is. That's the personality, which is great. It's not a bad thing, but it, again, it's nice when the style matches the person in person because there's other people who I won't name in the industry who you see some of their videos or you see some of their writing and you're like, wow. And then you meet them in person. And you're like, what the hell? They're like not even remotely yeah. like that. <laughs> but I think yeah. that's definitely fading away, which is a good thing. Yeah. But yeah. And I, I think if anybody gets anything out of this podcast, it's basically be who you are online and in person, right? Be authentic, right? Think that, I mean, in the age of bullshit and PR spins and marketing, I think there is, there's definite value in being authentic, right? In your content, in your videos, in your emails, whatever you put out there in the world, be authentic, be you, be who you are, tell stories, be engaging, give actionable content, have a little bit of fun, right? And it took me 10 years to be like that. It didn't happen overnight. Mm -hmm. So I think if anybody gets anything out of this, it's all those things, right? And, and if you do all that, and if you fail, then you've given it your best shot, right? I think it, I've always been very wary. I know you sell supplements. I've had, as a trainer, I've had lots of people approach me trying to sell their stuff to me. And I think there's <laughs> that old saying that it takes years to build a reputation, but seconds to destroy one. Oh, yeah. So I think that's, that, that again, that's about being authentic. Particularly yeah. when we're as much stuff that you put out and as much stuff as I put out, you have to be careful. I recently, good, now that I've brought that up. So I recently wrote some muscle fitness reviewing these four pieces of equipment. And I basically did it for a favor for a friend, which is probably a mistake. Hopefully Jeff doesn't, Tomco doesn't listen to this. <laughs> anyway, so. The, have you heard of have you heard of the wear bands equipment no. where you wear resistance bands? No. Anyway, so that guy's been bugging me for years. So he read that article. He sent me an Instagram message, basically bagging the shit out of one of those pieces of equipment that he didn't like. Obviously, he's self interested as well. No. And then I told him that I just wrote about it. I've never used it. And then he came back at me about, you shouldn't write about something you haven't used. And I was like, that's a fair point. We're all still learning. Mm -hmm. We all still make mistakes. That's what I'm trying to say. But anyway, I didn't give that a second thought about writing about it because I write to earn money. I probably made a little bit of an error in judgment in favor for a friend. Yeah. But that's the hard part is that you'll never figure any of that stuff out without doing it. Cause I get a, a fair amount of emails from people that are like, oh, I want to write for this magazine or this online place or this or that, or, or I want to use spoke at whatever. I want to speak there too. And you know, 99% of the time, these are people I, I don't know. They're not friends of mine. And I'm like, okay, what have you done? Do you even have a blog? Do you have a newsletter? Have you put out actual content on TikTok instead of dancing around in your underwear or whatever? If you want to be a writer, show me some writing. Well, I, 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 I haven't really done anything yet. Okay. Are you someone who is a very advanced trainer or coach and just hasn't had time 
to write. So you have a lot of, you know, industry knowledge and they're like, I trained two people. And, and I, I remember I've told this story before, like years ago, I was at the first, whatever it was like my friend Phil put together the first like T nation seminar in like the early two thousands. And uh, I was just a disaster. I was so nervous to be there. I threw up twice in the bathroom. It was just not a very good thing. But I remember at the very end, we were at this cocktail party thing. I remember asking uh, TC at the time, I said, Hey man, I said, I know you get this question like all the time, but I said, I have to ask you like, what do I do to write for Teen Nation? And he looked at me and he goes, what have you done so far? And I told him, I said, I'm probably transferring out of engineering probably getting into fitness. And he's like, have you written anything? I said, no. I said, I'm just, you know, going to take my CSCS and we'll start with a few clients. And he looked at me and he goes, come back in about five to eight years after you've actually done some shit and like walks away. And at first I was Drops like, a bomb, baby, let's go. Yeah. At first I was like, oh, what a mean man. He's so mean. And then later I realized, oh shit, like he's a hundred percent correct. That was, he hit the nail on the head. Fast forward six years later, I've been working with people. I got my CSCS, blah, blah, blah. I had done a bunch of writing. I sent him this note and said, hey, TC, I don't know if you remember me. We're at this party. You told me to go away and do this. Here's what I've done in the meantime. Here's an article I've already done. I've been reading your site for 10 years. And he looked at it and he goes, yeah, cool. We'll run this. <laughs> I was right. like, oh, thanks. <laughs> I think it's a quote comes to mind. And I'm not sure if I'm exactly quoting this right from Ronnie Coleman. He said, everybody wants to, to get big, but, but nobody wants to lift big, heavy ass weights. Yeah. <laughs> could you just describe right everybody wants to be famous but nobody wants to do the work they all want the shortcut right? like you said I think I had a I still have my blog I've written my blog for about 10 years nice so I've only started making money from writing the past four years so I was mm writing for a good six or seven years, even before I got paid. Like I said, you have to suffer. You have to suffer for your craft. There's something to yeah. be said for that. And for me, I did. It took me a while to get any halfway decent. And now I'm lucky enough that I write for muscle fitness. And it's something I don't take for granted for sure, because there's hundreds of people who can do what I do. So that helps me not to get too far ahead of myself every time I say, here's my name, Allah. It's gone. <laughs> excited. But yeah, it's very humbling. You're still going to keep doing a good job. You're still going to put your pants on the next morning. But yes, it's very humbling. But yeah, like I said before, you, you got to do the work. TC had a roundabout way of saying that to you. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe a little bit rude. Yeah. Sounds like I was exactly like him. <laughs> I don't know him personally. I've, made, I've read a lot of his stuff on, on, on T Nation. And yeah, but he, he did have a point, right? And I probably, like you, I've had people approach me who go, how do I write for Muscle of Fitness? Yeah. Uh, I say, why don't you like Ryan a blog for eight years? Yeah. <laughs> Come back. Much like uh, what TC said, people see the instant result, but they don't see all the work and all the training that goes into it. It's like the plumber who comes to unblock your pipes and charges you two, you know, $200 and they take five minutes to do it. Mm -hmm. 
It's like, why is it so expensive? Because they've gathered the knowledge. They've got the mm-hmm. experience. They know where to hit the nail on the head. And it's the same with writing and content creation, right? Yeah, it's, I think in the music industry, it's, I knew a lot of metal bands and stuff who literally barely had enough gas money to get in their van to get to the next date on the tour. The exciting thing was, oh, wow, we have enough money to buy two meals today instead of one. And doing that for a decade and in a couple of cases, all of a sudden they're like a overnight success, you know, because before and you know, the zeitgeist, people didn't see them. They didn't know of them. And all of a sudden now, you know, fast forward after doing it for 10 years, within six months, they're you know playing bigger sheds they're playing arenas, that kind of stuff. And so from the outside, it looks, oh, wow, they just started. And now they're like this, you know massively huge van and pretty much all of them had a long kind of run up like even pantera had different lead singer beforehand put out a couple albums was very much a glam rock band for many years before quote unquote their first album even you know and that's similar to writing it's okay just you know keep working at your craft and then Oh, all of a sudden see you're you know, writing for muscle and fitness or whatever. They just see the thing that's in the lights. They don't see all the work that's, that's gone in to get to that point. So I think it's, I think a good analogy for that is everyone sees the iceberg on top of the sea. Yeah. Nobody sees what's underneath, right? All that struggle, all that ice that's underneath that. I think that's the perfect analogy for that, right? Yeah. And last question, like, yes, I always like asking this to writers. Does the writing process ever get to the point where it's easy? I think there are some days where it's easier. Yes. And some days where it's not. I think it's, like I said, it's one of those people talk about how you get writer's block and some people say it it doesn't exist and other people say that it does. And other people will stare at the blinking line on their word document for half an hour without writing anything. I think the writing process becomes easier when you have a deep understanding of what you do. I think that becomes easier then. The the process of writing is always going to be time-consuming. Always. To the writing, to the editing, to the formatting, all that kind of stuff. It's always going to be time-consuming. So... Easy, probably not the great word for it. Probably efficient. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I'm probably more. Efi- I'm, I'm probably more efficient than I've ever been in producing work, only because I have a, a good level of understanding about what I write about, and I've done it enough times. But does the writing become easy? I don't think it ever becomes easy. Right, I think. There's always, there's there's a, there's a certain level that you're sitting there and you're staring at the blinking dot on the, on your word dog screen and thinking, what the hell am I going to write about? Yeah. So I don't, I don't think it becomes easy, but I think that's a good thing. I don't mm-hmm. think that's a bad thing. I think that's a good thing. If you're serious about getting good at something, it's not going to be easy. Because if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. Everyone would be, everyone would have your kind of email list. Everyone would be writing for muscle and fitness. It's not, it's not easy. It takes time. But yes, I'd say more efficient. Yes. Easy. No. Yeah. I like that because that was 
my era years ago, I kept thinking, I'm like, okay, I've been doing a daily newsletter list now for probably like a decade. And I wrote a bunch of stuff probably two, three times a week before that for shit, probably almost another decade. Um, and my thought process was, okay, at some point, this is just going to get easy. And I had a, I don't know, a revelation five years ago where I was getting all frustrated where I'm like, it got more efficient. I could definitely get more output out in the same amount of time, but it always felt like the process was still far from easy. And then I started following some other writers and them talking about it. And they're like, oh yeah, it never gets easy. Like it gets easier and make it more efficient. Like I can get more stuff done. I've got a better process. I know different levers to pull, but it was interesting to hear all these very good writers that dwarf me by a factor of a hundred. I think like almost all of them to a T (laughs) said that it, it never got easy for them. And I'm like thinking, oh shit, that's probably good. So I'll just give up that expectation. And then like you said, the process is the way the process is. And that's not a bad thing, right? I think of kiteboarding. That's shit. I've been doing this for a long time and yeah, I can do some pretty good stuff on it, but there's so many things like I can't do and I'll probably never get to the point where I want to hit all of the things I want to do just because it's not easy. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of practice, takes conditions, takes all these other things in order to do it. But that's also part of the appeal. It's like lifting. Are you ever really going to get to the point where you're hundred percent satisfied with all your lifts. There's another pound you could add. There's another way you could do it. The, the amount of things you could potentially do are infinite and you're never going to master all of them. And that's just the way it is. But that's also the appeal to it, to keep doing it. Like you said, suffering day in and day out, putting the work in, seeing the output, trying to get better at the process. It's just writing is the same way. It's just that perpetual journey of it. I think just with what you all think you just said, I think there's something to be said for just being good. Yes. To be excellent. Yeah. And then I think striving for mastery in anything is, is admirable. We should all do it. But we also should also strive for good. There's something to be said for that. Too. Not that, yeah. that good is good enough, but I'm just saying you strive to be good. Yeah. And my very last point on that is from the book Range by David Epstein, who the thing I got to take away from that is if you can be a good writer and have pretty good knowledge of fitness, for example, you can then be well, very good at the interface of those two items. So his point is that trying to be mass free and trying to be a pro level athlete or one of the top authors in the world or pick any skill, tennis player, it doesn't matter. To be the elite of the elite is extremely difficult and very few people are going to do that. However, if you're good in two things and you overlap those and you are the best at that interface, is like many people can do that with multiple different things and get to a very high level much faster than trying to seek absolute elite mastery in one area. So I thought That's that was like good. super cool. That is super cool. I didn't know that. I haven't read that book, but that he's spot on. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's the same with what you're talking about, coaching mm-hmm. and writing. Right? There's that interface right there. I think it's perfect. Awesome. Where can people find more about all your stuff, your writing, everything you've got going on? Okay, so I'm currently on Garage Gym Reviews and also Muscle and Fitness. My blog is balancedguidetraining.com. I'm all over social media. 
you'll find me Shane McLean on Facebook, at Back Performances on Instagram. If you're a writer interested in getting published, I also have a fitness flow writing services also on Facebook. So that's where people can find me. Nice. And if people are looking for editors, do you do any editing work or are you pretty much all booked up at this point? No. Yeah, I still, I, I will still help. Yes. I've still got, still, still, I've still got time on my schedule. I'm always there to help, particularly fitness writers. Yeah, that, that's awesome because I've noticed just in general, paradoxically, editors now appear to be more in demand than ever before, which again, goes back to, you have to understand what you're writing about the, the skill set and making it sound good. And it's a much harder skill set to make somebody else's shit sound better and still sound like them. That's like a yeah. whole separate sub skill set. That's extremely yeah. useful. Editing's a great skill. That's something I'm still working at. Yeah, it's just to me, it's just like writing. It's never ending. It's just, uh, especially after working on the the Triphasic Two book with Cal, trying to have it all be one cohesive voice is, it's a much harder thing than I thought it was going to be. But at the same point, it's also rewarding to see just like writing these transfer of all this information into the domain, so more people have access to it. And if you're not following Carl on social media or anything, you should. Yeah. That dude is amazing. Yeah. Cal Deeds. My buddy Cav said he's like, Yeah, he's like a training savant. <laughs> I'm like, he's got skin in the game, right? That's that is Cal. Cal is the ultimate example of having skin in the game, particularly in, in his position at a universe. Is it university Minnesota, Minnesota Strength Coach? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for all the time and everything. Highly encourage people to check you out. And if they need any of your services, it definitely hits you up. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mike. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. All good. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Really appreciate it. If you enjoyed this podcast and you want the top four action items to be a better writer, according to Shane from Muscle and Fitness, Go to MikeTNelson.com forward slash flex four. MikeTNelson.com forward slash F-L-E-X, the number four. And you will be able to get them on that page. Also, check out Element. Go to drinklmnt.com forward slash Mike Nelson. That's my favorite electrolyte drink right now. Been using it for, God, almost daily now for going on well over three years. So check that out. Huge thanks to Shane. Make sure to check out all of his wonderful stuff on social media, his website, everything that he has coming out. Always great stuff that he's putting out through Muscle and Fitness, which is awesome to see. And if you like this podcast, forward to someone you think may enjoy it, leave us a couple stars for review. Always helps to go a long way to get better distribution of the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Really appreciate it. And stay tuned for another episode next week. See ya. Personally, I don't care for puppets much. I don't find them believable. I don't believe you. <laughs> this podcast is for informational purposes only. The podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. You should not use the information on the podcast for diagnosing or treating a health problem or disease or prescribing any medication or other treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider before taking any medication 
or nutritional, supplement, and with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on this or any other podcast. Reliance on the podcast is solely at your own risk. Information provided on the podcast does not create a doctor-patient relationship between you and any of the health professionals affiliated with our podcast. Information and statements regarding dietary supplements are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to therein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.